if you have a Bible, um, I want you to go ahead and open it with me. Today we're going to give the, uh, the last installment of a, a series we've been in for this month entitled Christian Classics, Christian Classics. I'm not going to preach that backwards today. If you've missed the reasoning behind it, the previous messages, you can uh, look us up on YouTube. You can look us up on Facebook, go through the archives, um, hear the thought and the heart, the previous messages of what this is flowing out of. You're going to need to be in um, 1 Samuel chapter 17 today, 1 Samuel chapter 17. And as you turn to 1 Samuel 17, I want you to go all the way down to the end of the chapter. And uh, we're going to pray in just a moment that God would do once again what He's done for me and through me many times in my life as I surrender and answer the call to preach. And that is to take a, a chapter in the Bible, uh, all the little nuggets and nuances, and bring them to life today for you by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with you only having to read one verse. And then I'm going to give you the rest of the chapter. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 54 is going to be our jumping off place in just a moment today. <clears throat> but I want to share um, just what I also feel and believe is a miracle that took place here last Sunday evening at our Heart for the House banquet. Um, Pastor Rhonda, do you know how many people were in attendance this it was roughly 125 people. So as you just saw on the screens today, and, and, and we never take time to do this, but in case you don't know, this, this is ULM's building campus. This, this is not Oaks Church, and, and we're a mobile church, and we bust all this in and bust all this out, and have been for almost two years now, all while um, planning and preparing for our frontage road location. Now listen, if you know me, you know I know the building is just the barn. Um, it's not the end-all be-all to what ministry is. Ministry is so much more than that. But one of the very first um, responsibilities I was saddled with as a pastor or our ministry was saddled with was figuring out how to take an 11-acre debt-free property uh, over on the frontage road and convert it to the future home of Oaks Church. Once a year in the month of February, we just draw special attention to this as our Heart for the House Emphasis Month, and we challenge people by the Spirit of God to just prayerfully ask God, would He have you to be a part of, of contributing to that? It's a low-pressure thing. It's between you and God. God has provided some incredible people with incredible hearts that have been incredibly sacrificial and generous here at Oaks Church. And we're not inviting you, as I like to say, on to a losing team. We're inviting you to a winning team. We're not asking you to get on a ship that's sinking. We're asking you to get on board a ship that is already sailing. And this past Sunday night, I want to just go ahead and tell you, 125 people sat in this room and they prayed and they looked at this conceptual drawing and they looked at these renderings of the inside and they they talked to God in prayer and they filled out this little commitment card it wasn't something they had to do that moment that morning or excuse me that evening it's something that people decide to do weekly decide to do monthly or even do annually and uh, I'm excited to report to you that two hundred and sixty four thousand dollars was pledged this past Sunday night 
above tithes and offerings. So this first year, what we were trying to do was buy all of the things that we know we're going to need. Seats, vans, golf carts, AVL equipment, projectors, furniture. Just, just buy it all this year instead of adding the cost onto the building. And uh, if, if that or anything around that or close to that or above that comes in, we'll be able to do that debt-free this year as we move in to the Frontage Road location. This morning, um, we felt led to challenge the entire congregation to be a part join that winning team. Maybe you'll take these pictures home, put them up on your fridge. Maybe you'll prayerfully consider a giving. Um, whatever it is that God lays on your heart to this Heart for the House campaign as Oaks Church gets ready to move over to our Frontage Road location to begin doing ministry right here in Northeast Louisiana at 5800 Frontage Road. So that's that. The next thing that I want to mention is if you are on our trustee board and you're in this place, would you just stand up on your feet this morning and remain standing because this is going to be a bit of a lengthy process. I, I see two of them in the back. I see Jason Bond, Chuck Pruitt, Philip Williams, Charles Brown. There's one other, Doug Pollock. Um, if you are on the building committee and you're in this place today, would you also stand up on your feet and remain standing? I know Dan Lord is over here. I know Donnie Williams is here. I know Todd Hibbert, Jason Bond again. Is, is, is there others, others here today? Uh, who, who, who you point? Ashton. I see Ashton there. Blake's probably not here. Um, if you are in here today and you're a part of uh, ARCO, I, I know Mark Hammond sometimes attends here. I know Ashton is. Is anyone here from ARCO today, Miss Ashton? Um, I want you guys to put your hands together for this group of men and women right here. I'm going to get off details and get off news, and we're going to get into the Bible today, I promise. But just listen to me. This past week, Lock, stock, signs, sealed, delivered. Ten months under budget. They're breaking ground March the 6th on the frontage road. And in the next ten months, you'll be moving from here over to the frontage road. That means our youth ministry will be coming home on Wednesday nights from where we rent that facility. Our small groups that are scattered all over the community will be coming home. Those of them that want to come home and have their life groups there. Our Celebrate Recovery Ministry, let's hear it for CR that's down on Jackson Street. They'll be coming home. All of these different ministries that we have going will all be moving there. And I'll just be honest with you, our hope is that when we move in, it's absolutely full and we start scrambling to figure out what to do next to make more room. Amen. So I just want somebody in here today that's as excited as I am about the first conquering of the first hurdle for Oaks Church to maybe just give somebody, give God some praise in this place today. God, I'm so thankful for what you've done. God, I, I, I could not have even dreamed it up two and a half years ago when Brooke and I and Chad and I and then so many of these others that stood and I began to dream and think and pray. God, you have done exactly what you promised in your word. You've done exceedingly. You've done abundantly above what we could ask, think, or imagine. And God, all I know to do is just give you praise today. Just give you worship today for giving us the chance, giving us the opportunity to preach the gospel, to love the hurting, to heal the sick, to be a part of caring for needs, to be a part of reaching this community. Seeing revival birth in Oaks Church, God, we're so grateful for all that you've done. And it's from you, it's by you. 
And so now we give it back to you today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. If you've got your Bibles out, I want you to stand up on your feet today as we just give honor to the reading of God's Word. All we're going to need is one verse of Scripture. I want you to do this right now. I want you to look over at your neighbor and say, the rocks today are not for throwing. The rocks today, has everybody got a rock in your seat? Pick up that little pebble, pick up that little The rocks today are not for throwing at the pastor. Now, sometimes I let you throw your shoes. Sometimes I let you give me the stank eyes. Sometimes I let you wave handkerchiefs. But the rocks today are to be a friendly reminder of what I believe God's going to share with you today. I want you to just take that rock now, maybe slide it in your pocket, slide it in your purse, take it home with you today as a keepsake. As you stay standing, as we read God's word, it says this, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 54. It says, and David took the head of the Philistine and he brought it to Jerusalem. But his armor he put in his tent. <clears throat> so many of us know the story of David and Goliath. It's, it's a Christian classic. You would be shocked today at those that do not know the story of David and Goliath. That was the need for us to preach a few messages about some of the classical tales of Christianity, some of the greatest tales of the Bible. But even if you've read the story of David and Goliath. I, I can almost ascertain that this verse is obscure today. You, you probably think, man, I've read this story countless times. I never realized that David did something with the head. What? Where was, how did I miss this? And David took the head of the Philistine and he brought it to Jerusalem. But his armor, he put in his tent. God today, I have no idea where this is going. I know that it's 1140 and nobody probably needs to look at their watch after this. It's hot in this room and I got on a lot of layers of clothes and I don't know if I'm going to throw this sword, pull off my shirt, rip, run, scream, shout, spit, but I'm just asking today as I preach your word, God, as your spirit moves through this place, I believe there are some people here that came for more than entertainment. I believe there's people here that came for more than just to shake hands or to see people or to greet a friend or to check a box in a Christian checklist, Christianity box. God, I believe there's people here today that your word's going to speak to. They have needs and I believe, God, you're still today the God you were and have promised to be in the Bible. God, I believe you can meet our needs. I believe you can change our minds. I believe you can heal our bodies. I believe you can help us defeat our enemies. God, I believe that this word is going to be riveting, powerful, and life-changing today for many in this place. And I ask you to do it through and by the anointing of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have a seat. Look over at your neighbor and say, the rocks are not for throwing at the pastor. Y'all have 500 rocks. I have one. That means I can pick one of you. I think I can hit. The problem is there's only a couple people on the front row that I could probably hit, and I'm scared to throw it at any of them. I want you to know David will be our subject this morning as we begin to talk about the subject of I'm already there. David will be our subject this morning as we begin to 
talk about a secondary subject of I'm already there. I, I, I meet so many Christians that live in a proverbial state of I'm not there yet. I'm just not there yet. We're, we are just not there yet. It is just not there yet. As we begin to look at the life of David today, I want you to know that this chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 17, is going to reveal one of the greatest, best-kept secrets of all of the Bible in very plain and layman's terms. Years ago, when I, when I first developed this thought in this message, in a series of messages, my good friend, Pastor Chad and I were, were sitting in my office. We were on a couch and I was explaining it to him. I was preaching it to him before I preached it. And, and I said, Chad, I stink at titles. I, I need a title. I'm going with, I'm already there. And, and Chad being the musician that he is and the, and, and the guy that stays up with, with current pop culture, he said, I got your title for it. It's hello from the other side. And so what I want you to know, 1 Samuel chapter 17 reveals in its hidden truth is the principle of saying hello in your life to the troubles, to the promises, to the giants, to the, hello to them from the other side. I'm already there. I love to study the life of David and, and, and most probably that is because the Bible allows us to see the, the full scope of David's life. You know, so many of us try to put on our Sunday best and put on our game face and, and masquerade around and put on pretenses and we, we try to get people to see what we want them to see and, and, and we really don't want to let people know that we're human and we have struggles and we have strains and our families have emotions and there's problems and we have this, have this human falsehood about us that wants to always try to fool people into seeing our lives in a way that's actually not true. What, what, what the Bible does though, and this is why I love the story of David, is the Bible says here he is on his best day, here he is on his worst day, here he is on his mountaintop, here he is in his valley, here he is when he's a man after God's own heart, here he is when he's an adulterer, here he is when he's a drug addict, here he is when he's in prison, here she is when she's a prostitute, here she is when she's a good mother, here she is when she's a good employee. The Bible just allows us to see with authenticity the full scope of David's life, good and bad and highs and lows and victories and failures. How many of you know it makes it much more palatable, much more relatable when you begin a relationship with somebody and you feel the basis of your relationship is genuine? Amen. Don't, don't, don't try to make me see and make me believe and make me feel you're somebody and, at and arrived at some place you're not. Just give me the real thing. I can deal with the real thing. I, uh, I, I, I love this about David's life because it's very much like my own. It's full of victories, it's full of failures, full of ups and downs. I, I want you to know some need to know facts about David that, that most people don't know about this greatest king that ever ruled the combined nation of Israel. He, he is thought to be in Jewish thought for those of you that like meat in the Bible. According to Psalm chapter 51, verse 5, that David is believed to be the son of an illegitimate wife, that David is believed to be the son of a concubine. 
David was a shepherd. He was a worshiper. He was discounted by his own father as a son. He was small in appearance. He was red and ruddy. He was often mistreated. However, he grew up and he became a warrior. At times in his life, he even had a minuscule role to play a harp to rid the then ruling king of the nation of Israel of evil spirits. He was sent home by his brothers. He was sent home as to not be able to contribute to their greatest time of their nationalistic need. But somehow he became the anointed king of Israel. And right after his anointing, what he's found doing is delivering groceries to the battlefield. Now, I I wouldn't have to preach must pass that thought this morning to, to preach a good sermon to most of us in here. Most of us understand that we're called, we're gifted, we're promised of God. But then when God calls us to do a menial task, when God calls us to serve in a low place, when God calls us to begin at a place of humble beginnings, we say, well, I'm too good for that. I couldn't do that. Here, David is the anointed king of Israel, and yet he's still delivering groceries to his brothers out on the battlefield. He had had that horn of oil pull up. He showed up for load-in team. He set up the fan in the hot baby room. He wiped down the bleach walls. He, He would do things that nobody else would do even while he was still the king. David, you could say it this way in plain layman's terms, was illegitimate. He was lowly. In his day as a worshiper, he was weird. He was not only discredited, he was furthermore counted out. He didn't amount to much. He was mistreated. He was a scrapper. He was used and manipulated by those in places of authority over him. He was rejected, and he was even unrecognized by most in the calling that God had called him to. The reason I've set this Christian classic up with some of these details and nuggets about King David's life is because I bet if you would be truthful in here today, you would say some of that sounds very familiar to you. What, what I want to do for just a moment here is make my intentions and my purpose clear for, for sharing this information. I, I want you to be able to see how David grew up in his life, how, how he overcame obstacles, how, how he arose from obscurity. And I would like you to maybe see your own journey, see your own life, see your own struggles, see your own pain, see your own trials in the parallelisms of the life of David before we begin to move forward with the story of David in 1 Samuel chapter 17 today. What, what I want you to pay very close attention to is how in each of these three accounts found in one chapter, 1 Samuel 17, David enacts the same principle all three times. He says this, hello from the other side. The very first one that I want to take you to, they're going to throw it up on the screens, and I'm going to make this simple today. I I want to talk to you about when David shows up delivering those groceries on the battlefield, and David gets some promises from the then ruling king of Israel in his life. That king was King Saul, and, and Saul was lined up with all of the armies of Israel, and there was this giant out there. He was a giant of Gath. He was a Philistine. His name name was Goliath, and he had been mocking for 40 days. He had been taunting the armies. He had been taunting the kings. Nobody would move. They were all paralyzed in fear. And David shows up and says, what in the Lord God of heaven's name is going on around here? And they said, listen, my friend, there's a giant over there. Nobody can defeat him. He's been a warrior since his youth. And the king is saying that I will make the man rich who is brave enough to go out there and to fight and to 
defeat that giant. And then as if that was not enough, just stay with me for just a moment. King Saul said, I'll not only make you rich if you're brave enough to go fight and defeat this giant, I'll give you status. I will offer you the hand of my daughter Merab, which her name literally means increase. I will bring you out of obscurity and I will propel you into a place of notoriety. So the king is promising everyone around, I'll make you rich, I'll make you a somebody. And then he says, last but not least, I'll even exempt you from taxes. <laughs> I, I felt the spirit of the Lord move through here right then. You wasn't interested when the king said, I'll bless you and give you an abundant life. I felt the spirit of the Lord move through here right then. You wasn't interested in having his wife, having his daughter, being in his family. But he said, now wait a minute, you do what? You free me from taxes. <laughs> I, you mean to tell me I ain't never got to pay taxes? Where's that giant at right now? Where, where is that giant? What the king in essence is saying, the king is saying, I want to make somebody rich. I, I want to give them status. I want to free them from bondage. If somebody, if only body would just have the courage, have the gall to stand up and to face the giants in their life. And I just want to bring it from 1 Samuel 17 today and drop it off at your doorstep like the FedEx delivery driver. There are some giants standing in between many of you today and the promises of your king. God has made you some promises. They may not be to make you rich. They may not be to free you from taxes, but God has said, I will forgive your sin. I will heal your family. I will deliver your life. I will give you a future. But there are some giants standing in the way of you and the promises of your king. And here's what, what David says in that moment. He, he says, hello, good king from the other side. He said, you see, because I know I'm already there. He said, because when I was a lowly and a little shepherd boy, and I was out there in my father's field, I remember when the lion and the bear came from my father's children. And the last time I checked, these are the children of God. These are my father's sheep. And just as if I tore that bear by, by my hands apart, just as I tore that lion apart, I too and not afraid of that giant I am certain my God will deliver him into my hand hello good king from the other side I'm your huckleberry I'm already there I'm already there I'm already there so the Bible says that that David walks over and he picks up five smooth stones the Bible says in in first Samuel chapter 17 that he he picks up five Smooth stones. It, it, it didn't say they're white stones, doesn't say they're gray stones, doesn't say they're brown. The only adjective, the only description is, is they were smooth. Now, if you'll allow me to preach a little bit right here with an allegory, I, I, I want you to know that they were smooth because the Bible says that David got them out of the water. Mm, I, I hope you, I, I want you, they were, they had been processed. They, they had been under, they had been immersed. They, they had had all the rough edges rubbed off. They, 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 I guess in essence is what David's trying to show us is he picked up something that didn't have any lag. He, he picked up something that didn't have any drag. He picked up something in the hand of 
of himself as a warrior like God wants to pick up in his hand. Something that's aerodynamic. Something that can really move. Something that can really cut the wind. Something that can really fly. And you see the truth is when we spend time under the washing of the water of God's word in our life group, in our Bible study, in our prayer life, all of a sudden God begins to polish off those rough edges. He begins to smooth out those stones. And then you'll look up one day and the devils you couldn't defeat, the giants you couldn't bring down, the tests you couldn't pass, all of a sudden you'll be smooth. You'll be able to get through them and make it. You'll be, hey, hello, from the other side. I'm already there. He picks up these five smooth stones and and there's been a lot of debate and a lot of talk about why he picked up five and I'll just be another pastor to put one more log on the fire. It's very simple because Goliath had four brothers. He picked up five stones because what David was saying was, let's end it all today. He said, let's just end it all today. He said, he said, just bring out the generational curses over my family today. He said, just bring out the addiction today. He said, just bring out the poverty today. Just bring out the bitterness today. Bring it all out here. I'm ready to not only kill addiction, I'm ready to kill unforgiveness. I'm ready to kill hatred, and I'm ready to kill poverty. Just get them all out here today. I'm ready to bring them all down. Hello from the other side. I'm already there. The next time we see David in this story, somebody else is talking to him. Whoo! Now it's not a king making promises. It's an enemy making threats. He says, do you know who I am? I am Goliath. I am the son of Anak. I am not only a giant, but I come from the father of giants. It's like the giant you've been facing in your life trying to sell you a wolf ticket, trying to bluff you before you even get the gall to get out there to face him that day. He wants to twist the tail and turn the tides and have the story in such a way that you don't even have the audacity to walk out there on the battlefield to face him that day. He wants you defeated in your mind because you're scared of who he is and scared of the origin that he came from. But see, what most people don't know is Goliath in the Akkadian language means soothsayer. It means incantator. It means spellbinder. It means somebody that spews incantation. Somebody that would say for 40 days and 40 nights I'm going to put all of these people under a spell and keep them from discovering what God really has for them. But what the Bible didn't record in this chapter is David had already been there. He had already delivered the groceries and his brothers rejected him and said why did you leave them sheep? What do you think you're going to do? And they sent him back home while they had been listening to all the negative Nancy, while they had been listening to all the pessimism, while they had been listening to all the criticism. David was back at home on the backside of a little forest playing a harp, keeping his daddy's sheep, growing his faith in a time of worship. He didn't hear all that. He wasn't afraid of what the enemy was saying. David had been sent out, but now God was sending him back in. David gets there, and Goliath says, I'm a giant. I'm a son of a giant. I come from a long line of giants. You don't, you don't stand a chance. And he says, come out here and fight me. 
Come out here and fight me. Goliath is a, is a huff-like in the scripture. He's a, he's a foot soldier. You see, see, see David's not a huff-like. Da- David's, David's not a, a foot soldier. David, my friend, is a hurler. Huff-likes and foot soldiers, they fight guerrilla warfare. They fight hand-to-hand combat. But, but good prayer warriors, good, good hurlers, they fight from a distance. I'm not coming to fight you, devil, on your level. I'm not going to let you outline the parameters of the battle of the war that I'm going into. I'm going to get back over here in my prayer closet. I'm going to get back over here in my place of worship. I'm not going to come out there and fight you the way you want to be fought, the way you say we got to fight. I'm going to get back here... And and I'm a watch this. David says to him, you know what? I'm gonna give my good friend Adele something to look forward to in a few thousand years when she comes on the music scene. He says, Goliath. I got a word for you. Not if I kill you, but when I kill you, I will feed your carcass to the birds of the air, my friend. You don't know who you're messing with? Hello, big boy from the other side. I'm already there. David walks out there. He throws that rock and he says, not if I get healed, but when I get healed, not if I get delivered, when I get delivered, not if my family is restored, when my family is restored, not if we build a church, not if we reach a reason, not if we get revival, when we build a church, when we see revival, when we reach a city. If you change your if to win, you win. You gotta change your if to win so you can win. Hello from the other side. I'm already there. I'm already there. I want you to know that rock represents the stone that was cut from a mountain. That, that, that rock represents Jesus. He, he threw that rock, just one small pebble. All you need, are you ready for this? All you need to bring down the Goliaths, the giants in your life is one little small kernel of truth. One, one little small stone will bring down. And here's what's so cool, check this out. Isaac Newton developed all these laws of physics and, and I don't wanna go into them. He, he throws that. Boop. And, 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 and here's what the laws say. That if, that if A strikes B, moving at a greater rate of speed. If A is moving at a greater rate of speed than B, then object C always moves backwards. Now, I don't know what in the world God was up to, but he defied the law of physics because Goliath didn't fall backwards. He fell forwards at the feet of David. See, what I'm, what I'm trying to get you to see is you can be hurling the name of Jesus. Jesus. 
You can be hurling your praise. You can be hurling the truth of Scripture. You can be hurling your covenant with God. You can be hurling the promises that God has given you, given your life, given your destination, given your family, given your business, at the giants of opposition that stand in your way. And the promises of God say that they will fall down on their face before your feet. And David, the Bible says, reaches over and grabs the sword from Goliath. Now, David carried this sword most of the days of his life. He says, excuse me, big boy, you ain't going to be needing that no more. And he rears back and he says, boom, and he cuts off Goliath's head. I want you to know the very first thing that David did is he said, I've got to stop the mouth that is speaking. I've got to cut off the head of the enemy. He killed Goliath. He stole his sword. And then he looked back at Israel and he said like William Wallace, church and Israel came down off the mountains and they destroyed the Philistines I don't know if you're picking up what the Bible's putting down but it sounds an awful lot to me like what Jesus said in John chapter 10 verse 10 that the devil came to steal kill and destroy but what God's trying to tell us here in the Bible is this payback time somebody I came to do to you what you came to do to me I'm gonna kill you the enemies of my life I'm gonna steal from you what you stole from my family and I'm gonna destroy you it's time for you to start doing back to the devil what he came to do to you David saw himself because I'm already there. Not when I get delivered from drugs, I'm already delivered from drugs. Not when we find peace in our marriage, we already have peace in our marriage. Not when my family is put back together. My family, according to God, is back together. Well, I don't see it yet. I, my family is already, according to God, back together. I'm just gonna keep saying what he says. I'm gonna keep saying what he promised until I say what he said and then I see it in this life. David said, I'm already there. Now here's my favorite, my absolute favorite. This whole point for the sermon today. Pastor Chad, I'm gonna ask you to come. All of you got promises from a king. All of you got enemies in your life. But the thing that I want you to know today is every one of you in this room have a future to your life. Would you switch that media booth, please? Say, <clears throat> so, well, I, I, don't, I don't see what you're saying here. The, the future of David's life. So the Bible says that David cuts off the head. Whew. And he rides 18 miles from the Valley of Elah to the city of Jebus. It's not Jerusalem. David's not king. Israelites don't live there. Judah don't live there. There's no tabernacle there. There's no temple there. There's no house of worship there. The Jebusites live there. Saul's still alive. He's king seven more years. 
David flees from Saul to Hebron and lives in obscurity for seven more years while Saul hunts him like a dog after he kills the enemy of Saul's life. David takes the head of Goliath, the big, bleeding, dripping, soaking, nasty head of the biggest lying enemy of his life. For some of you, it may be addiction. For some of you, it may be financial hardship. I, I don't know. For some of you, it may be chronic pain. It may be illness. It may be disease. And he takes that head. Okay, let, let's just give him some credit. He, he rode a mule. Let's just say he rode a mule. Has, has anybody ever rode a horse? Has anybody ever rode a horse 18 miles? This was not a pleasant experience. <laughs> he, he rides a horse or a mule or walks. 18 miles with the bleeding, dripping head of the biggest enemy, the biggest giant he ever faced in his life. And he goes to the city of Jebus, and outside, he buries that head. Here's what Jebus was saying. Jebus was saying, you Jews are not welcome here. This city means we will trodden you under our feet. We are impregnable, impenetrable. David says, you don't know it, but I'm already there. David said, I'm putting putting this head in this ground today because I may run for seven more years and it may be 13 more years before they ever make me the king and it may be a total of 20 years before I ever come back to Jerusalem but in 20 years hello from the other side I'm already there David says I'm not coming for you. I'm already there. I'm not on my way. I'm already there. I wish somebody in this place for just a few minutes would get a hold to what God's trying to tell us here in this Christian classic. I, would, I wish somebody would just get the bleeding, dripping head of the biggest enemy that they've ever fought a battle with in their life and take that victory to the future that you want, the life that you want, the family that you want, the dream that you want, and just plan it there and say, and I'll use my story, I may have to ride a bicycle. I may have to be the janitor. I may have to be the youth pastor. I may have to go pastor. I may have to move to Minnesota. I may have to come home. I may have to start from scratch. No money, no staff, no income, no salary, no payroll. But when God sent me here in 2008 to that frontage road, I saw myself here with this church. I was already there. There was a journey. There was a process. There were trials, there were tribulations, there were bumps, there were high days, there were low days, there were troubles, there were pains, there were victories, there were joys. But I said, I'm already there. Hello from the other side. I'm already there. I don't know what promises of a king you have in your life. You know.
You know. What promise has your king? Now you do know I'm not talking about King Saul, right? You, you, you do know I'm talking about the king of heaven. You do know I'm talking about the captain of the Lord of hosts. You, you do know I'm talking about the captain of the Lord's army. You do know I'm talking about King Jesus. You know I'm talking about the king that says you can be whole, you can be free, you can be healed, you can be new, you can be delivered, you can be victorious, you can have an abundant life, you can be pro- I don't know what promise your king made you, but you gotta get out of the perpetual state of if to win. You got to get out of the state of, I'm not there to buy God's grace. I'm already there. You got to move from, I'm on this side to, hello from the other side of my divorce. Hello from the other side of my addiction. Hello from the other side of my bankruptcy. Hello from the other side of my health issue, of my battle. Hello from the other side. But I wish somebody in here today would get a hope to what God's trying to tell you, God's trying to give you. Oh, I wish somebody in here would say, you know what, I got some enemies, some giants, and they're trying to bluff me. They're trying to insult me. They're trying to antagonize me. They're trying to manipulate me. They're trying to scare me to not show up for the battle. And I wish you'd look back and you say, you know, I remember when God did that. Oh, I remember when God did that. <laughs> I'll see you in a minute. <laughs> I'm on my way. <laughs> you don't know it, big boy. You thought you were going to break me. But what I discovered was time under tension means growth. You thought you were breaking me. You didn't all right, big boy. You didn't realize you were making me. You didn't realize you were making me. You didn't realize you were making me. You weren't going to break me. You were making me. The woman I'm supposed to be. The man of It's the strain that grew me. It's the adversity that developed me. I ain't got no quit in me. I done been there, I done done that, I done come through, we're going over. Look at them giants and say, that giant God just put there to make me. That giant God put it there to develop me. It's going to bring something out of me that wasn't going to be there without it. The me, the me. On the other side of you is a better me, not a worse me. A stronger me, not a weaker me. A mature me, not a more immature me. Hello. Hey. I'm already there. I'm already there. I'm already healed. I'm already forgiven. I'm already free, already feel right, already feel like dancing, already feel like shouting, already feel like praising. They thought they had me. You thought you broke me. You thought you crippled me. Oh, oh, what you did yesterday 
was just free advertisement of what you promised to do tomorrow. Let me take some of this and go get the life I want. Let me take some of this and go get the family I want. Let me take some of this and go get the finances I want. Let me take some of this and go get the holiness that I want. Let me take some of this and go get the freedom that I want. Bury it. May take me a minute. May take me a while. Fix your eyes on the author and the finisher. I'm already there. I'm already on that frontage road. They signed the contract Monday. I've been over there for two years. When we ain't got the loan yet, I had the money for five years. When you wasn't a pastor, I was a pastor in prison. I was already there. I was already there. I was already there. It ain't about me. It's about you. Not sweating today for me, sweating for you. Not screaming today for me, I'm screaming for you. I'm not preaching to you, I ain't preaching for me, but I'm also preaching to you. When you change your if to win, you win. When you change your if to win, you win. I wish somebody would say, I'm already there. I'm already there. Come on, somebody say, I'm already there. I'm already there. Whichever one of y'all make it in first, I'll give you the keys to the city. They went right in the water shaft, right in the aqueduct. I've stood right there. You go with us to Israel, we'll take you right to it. They went in, they went in the impenetrable city. 
the city that said we're impregnable, impenetrable. We will try you underfoot. You'll never scale our walls. You'll, you'll never climb this mountain. They went right up through a water shaft. They looked up one day and they said, I told y'all we was already there. You know what David did? You know what David did? David took that city, the old city of David, in Jerusalem. Me and Dustin went together. Me and Dustin went together. Happy birthday. 30 years old. DC. <laughs> took that city. He united those 12 tribes. He built a tabernacle of worship. He had his highs, he had his lows. He stayed a man after God's own heart. Buried that head there. What was that guy's name? What was that guy's name? Goliath of what? Goliath of Gath. Sound familiar? Goliath of Gath. Golgotha. The place of the skull. The place of the skull don't mean it was a mountain that looked like a skull. It was a place where David buried the head of the giant. And he said, it may look like humanity's lost. It may look like humanity is too far gone. It may look like they're lost in sin. But what the devil and all of hell don't know is God's already there. And 2,700 years from now, God's son is going to die right here at the place of this skull. And he is going to trample on the head of every giant and free all humanity from sin. David said, I'm not already there. God's already there. I don't know what you came in here carrying today. I don't know what you came in here fighting today. I don't know what you came in here believing today. But here's what I want you to know going out of here today. God loves you. God's son died for you. He wants a relationship with you. And he loves you too much to leave you not there. He loves you too much to leave you broken. He loves you too much to leave you addicted. He loves you too much to leave you hurting. He loves you too much to leave you sick. God is saying today, you don't know it, but you're already there. You're already forgiven. Your name's already in the Lamb's Book of Life. I already will make you whole. I already have made you new. I already have a plan for your life. So I don't know who you are or what you need. But here's what I want you to do today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to get a hold of that rock right now. That rock represents a kernel of truth. It represents one nugget of God's promises. One nugget of God's word to you, his promise to you. You say, you, 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 you've got some promises for me, God. And the enemy's got some lies for me. 
you got a future for me. And today, I'm ready to get out of where I was, come out of what I've came from, get out of this pain, get out of this bondage, out of this hurt, out of this sin, out of this perversion, and be there. Would you wash me right now? Would you make me clean? Would you fill me with your Holy Ghost? Would you send me out of here today with a renewed mind, a renewed purpose, wholehearted, sincerely believing I'm already there. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.